This is a part one of a part two series about moonshining with Mitchum Reeves. Here is his story. On your podcast, um, you tell stories from your bootlegging days, right? And I think of it as like victimless crime. And it's not a crime anymore, right? What you did back then was illegal because of the laws back then, but they've changed now, right? Moonshine is still illegal. Oh, is any, any whiskey that is made that the government don't get taxes on is illegal. So there's still, I have a friend that makes it for me. Uh, and it's illegal. But, Just uh, making it or distributing? Making it, having it in your possession. Uh, it's, it's, it's not controlled by the government. So, like, like moonshine is not legal anywhere. Not, not, the, not the kind that's made in the woods of a steel. Some old boy's making by a creek somewhere. Now a lot of the a lot of the liquor stores and distributors all around have come out with their own version of moonshine, but it's not the same as as what we got made in the woods. It don't How come? It. What what's the special ingredient? The, the, the special ingredients is uh, good water. Uh, that's the main thing is to have good water. And, um, when it comes, when my guy makes it, it can come out as much as 170, 190 proof. Uh, so he has to proof it down to get it drinkable. And he proofs it down to about a hundred proof. Um, uh, I've got, uh, I've got some he made recently for me. There, uh, back a long time ago, there was a, a moonshine called Bloody Battle Moonshine. And uh, it's made with the red and different colors of corn, uh, Indians corn. So that's making a comeback these days around here. But uh, the liquor stores, the store-bought stuff have got a version of it. Um, and you can do, I mean, it's just a big difference in the taste of it. Because this guy works, he, he, he ships in, he drives about 50 miles north of Floyd County and brings back artesian spring water. And he makes his whiskey with artesian spring water. <laughs> big difference in the taste of the store-bought stuff. And the proof is higher. And you can pour a little bit out on the ground, and uh, if you if you want to test it, and if it burns a blue flame, then it's good. <laughs> uh, I've got some. I should have got it out before we started this. It's in another location of the house. I could show you uh, some of it, but Linda's left the room. Everybody's gone. Uh, I, I guess that's why they call it moonshine. You have to do it like in the cover of night and uh, not supervised. <laughs> it back when I started, uh, 
bonded liquor, this bonded liquor uh, was illegal in jo here in Rome, Georgia. See, when, when back in the days of Al Capone days, when prohibition ended uh, and they voted, the United States voted to start making liquor again, which was a stupid thing to stop doing uh, to start with. But when they started back, a lot of, especially in the Bible Belt part of the South, uh, still would not have bonded liquor. Uh, they, they didn't want liquor stores. They didn't want to be able to go into a bar, get a drink. Beer joints were all over the place. You'd get beer, and there were hundreds of beer joints here in Florida County. And uh, it was just a wild, wild place. I think back then a person could go to Atlanta, and he might be allowed to have a fifth, one-fifth or one-quart of bonded liquor. Uh, bonded liquor is taxpayer liquor. Like, you know, you, you go to this Jameson, this, that's bonded, bonded whiskey. Uh, they, pay, they pay taxes on it. So now in Florida County, you've got liquor stores and you got bars, and they even sell it on Sunday at church now. So. <laughs> but back then, uh, I, I started out with my brother. He would bring in uh, moonshine from a, another county, and he would pick me up. I was just a kid, 10 years old probably, something like that, and ride with him in that 1954 Mercury with those twin glass pipe muffles on it, man, them dirt roads, and the sound of that car and the smell of those dusty dirt road, especially if a little rain come on. And uh, I'd help them unload at the stash places. And uh, there was a lot of different bootleggers that used the same area to stash their whiskey in. Well, and I was learning to drive when I was about 10 years old. So by the time I was 14, I had managed to get a driving license showing I was 18. So by that time, I'm delivering to the shot houses around Floyd County in the rural areas. There was a, a shot house was a place where you could go uh, and you could go in and stay there for a while and buy by the shot, 50 cents a shot. I think that's what it was, 50 cents a shot. A little shot glass. And... Uh, People that ran those shot houses, they could, uh, they'd have poker games or some sort of entertainment. One guy had, uh, I like this place the best. I like going there. We called it the tree club because it had these big trees in the yard. And uh, he was a blind man. He had a pinball machine on the front porch and a jukebox in the living room. And uh, it was a shot house. Well, I, de I delivered liquor to him. Well, sometimes if the cops was hot out on the road, I'd have to lay over a little bit to cool down. And uh, I like laying over there. He had pretty daughters. And I like listening to the jukebox with the pretty daughters while I'm waiting for the cops to chill out. <laughs> yeah, so did you have like a cat and mouse relationship with law enforcement, you know? 
Well, they'd be driving around, and you'd be driving around, and yeah. Yeah, but knowing you had to know your roads real well, and I knew the back roads real well. And, a little Dukes of Hazard in there. Pardon me. A little Dukes of Hazard. Uh, yeah, yeah. I guess something kind of like that. Uh, they never caught me, but having uh, knowing the roads and having some uh, um, safe house is was always good. We we had a friend back in the in the mountain that uh, his name was well actually he was kind of he was related to my mother, Farmer Shack. I did that story in the podcast. So my brother Doyle. Uh, by this time, I'm running uh, liquor to Tennessee and North Carolina, and I'm, I'm graduated into a little bigger time than what we started out doing, going to those shot houses. So my brother Doyle was he, he was uh, running blocker for me. Uh, blocker is where you've got somebody running ahead of you, test the roads and to see if there's any cops sitting anywhere, you know. Uh, and sometimes it was necessary for him to get them to chase him because he was running dry. He, he didn't have anything running blocker. I, I ran blocker to start with for him sometimes. So this particular time, uh, I was trying to get to the Dixie Highway uh, to head north up to uh, Tennessee. And man, the cops was everywhere. So we headed to our safe house, which was Farmer Shack. And um, oh, Bob Farmer has a, like a two-room shack, you know. I mean, he was an old hermit, and um, but he loved folks to come and especially bring something to drink. We didn't know that another friend of ours was more friend of my brother. He was in the he was in World War Two with my brother uh, and had, had lost a leg. And so he had a, he had a wooden leg and uh, he was there at Bob Farmer's blind running drunk. And I mean, he was drunk. So I got the cops out on the road. I'm having to hide out in a shack with a drunk man. Uh, so uh, trying to get a little sleep, uh, lay down in the floor. He had an old wood-burning heater. Uh, I'm trying to get a little sleep. and um, I, So I go to sleep a little bit, and then I, uh, a gunshot wakes me up. Well, a guy named A.T. A.T. had woke up, and his money was missing. He thought one of us, some of us had rolled him or stole his money. He just started shooting the gun. He didn't miss me too far when he was shot in the floor. My brother grabbed him, got the gun away from him. And wow. uh, he had, to, he had what he had done, he had rolled that money up. And, and the wooden leg, it's a, where it fit on the, uh, his knee up there, there was a hole that went in that leg, the wood part. I guess it was for air. Well, he stashed his money in there. And then he realized he found his money. Nobody stole his money. He stashed it. Well, by this time, my nerves are shot. You know, when you're laying in the floor, the, a drug man almost shoots you. And the cops are still out everywhere. But I decided 
I'm going to take my chances with the cops than I am laying here with this drunk man that might start shooting again. So, Good uh, call, I think. <laughs> so, uh, I, I, I just went on. I, I, I made it and uh, successfully made it back alive. And, uh, it, it was funny afterwards, you know. Right, so, right. So, how did you uh, communicate when one was blocking and one was driving with uh, all of the goods? Because no cell phones, no radios, no nothing. No, it was all done by uh, timing. Uh, if Doyle, once he went up the road, and, and a lot of times uh, I would be behind him. You know, he's leading me out and I'm following at a, at a distance, and if we're coming out of the, uh, from a stash place, and we're coming out of the country, the woods, well, I'm running with the lights off. He's running ahead. So if, if he suddenly takes off fast, then I know, okay, there's the uh, cops are up. At one, at one time I was coming out of uh, Chattanooga on Highway 27 North, uh, coming back into Rome is, we're only like an hour or so from Chattanooga, Tennessee. And uh, so Doyle was running blocker. I, I'm, I'm bringing bonded liquor back this time. It wasn't moonshine, bonded liquor. Uh, I had a 50 Mercury. Man, I like that car. So Doyle is running blocker, and he's he's ahead, way ahead of me on the highway. I kind of got behind, and all of a sudden I see him coming back. He made a U turn, and man, he's hauling it. Well, I knew then there was a roadblock. So I take off, turn behind him, and we get back off the highway. Uh, once you get off the highway and get back on those country roads, and we had another safe house up that way. That time we had to had to actually leave the car and offload it into another car uh, before we could get to our destination. Had to leave that Mercury in the, in the in the mountains back there. I can see how how it would uh, be a good thing to do with your brother. Like you have to read each other's mind and intuition and stuff like that. To, to know what does that mean and go like, okay, I got this. And the thing of it is you needed somebody that you're working with that you could trust too. That, that wasn't going to sell you out to the cops. And I knew, you know, I'd always could trust my brother. But once he kind of got out of the business, uh, I got into it in bigger ways. Um, he moved to Marietta, Georgia and um, was running a U-Haul dealership there where they rent trailers and trucks. Well, by this time, I've got hooked up with a guy that used to run um, Moonshine up north to New York and, and Chicago and Detroit and tankers, tanker trucks. Uh, so he had a connection with a, a black guy in Detroit. Now this is 1967. Uh, they'd had some riots there in Detroit and had burned uh, some of the, this is before Martin Luther King's killed. 
So we uh, we made a connection with a guy in Dayton, Tennessee, where we could buy straight from the steel. I mean, we were getting a good deal in it. I think we might have paid $4 a gallon back then. Uh, and I got a truck for my brother Doyle, and he would handle the paperwork. You know, you could rent a truck uh, one way and leave it when you get there. Well, we, we just got it. So we got this U-Haul truck, and we we got about 400 gallons of liquor on it. Uh, and we had to carry that stuff down the trail. And it was in uh, gallon jugs uh, used to the Coca-Cola syrup. Uh, came in those jugs to restaurants, and they, they that's how they had their fountain drinks. I've got some of those jugs around here somewhere. But uh, had a hook on them, so you have two gallons in each hand. I was a little younger and stronger then, but sliding down in the snow and, and it's, uh, a snow started. Well, next thing you know, we're in a blizzard. I mean, man, it was a blizzard. So here we are in this truck, and we're a lot of stuff that, that people had had to stop, but we couldn't stop. I mean, we got to keep going. So we're going up through Kentucky and the mountains, and you, you could look down the mountain and see these little lights. Well, that was houses. That's how far down it was. Just little tiny lights. It looked like we were way up there. Because we're on the, we're on the, you know, we're not on the interstate. So uh, the windshield wiper would ice up. You'd have to reach out and grab it and slap the, slap it, pop it with your hand to bust the ice off the windshield wiper. Uh, Heater ain't getting too cold. And uh, and then the truck, sometimes it would get away from you and start sliding, but the ice and snow had kicked up on the side of the road. So we just bounce off of that and get it straightened back out. And we slid on into Detroit. Now, this was my first trip to Detroit. My, my buddy Sammy, he'd been, he, he knew the people. So this big black Cadillac car meets us in Detroit. Here's two white guys in a U-Haul truck with a load of liquor and some of the buildings they'd burn in those riots. It looked like some of them might still be smoking. <laughs> uh, I mean, we were there right after the riot. Uh, so they meet us and they're, they're armed. I mean, man, they got shotguns, machine guns. Uh, these are some real gangsters. And they lead us through Detroit to the Canadian border and we get to a warehouse and they stand guard while we unload all this liquor. Uh, I, I think one or two of them helped us. So then uh, that was that was kind of uh, nerve-wracking a little bit. That's Not enough really. stress for me for the rest of my life, I think. Just listen. Mm -hmm. Well, we had to follow them back to the to the owner, the guy who's the buyer, and we go to his house, and in the in the basement of his house, he had a bar, and it was like going in a bar, you know. I mean, he had the lights, the you could get a scotch on the rocks or whatever you wanted, and it was like just going into a bar. And there we, but we had to go down those steps into that basement. Now we're packing, 
but you know, both of us are packing, but these guys are packing a lot more than we packing. And it runs through your mind because we, we had two styles of selling cash and carry. There wasn't no checks. There's cash. And we were getting about 12 or $14 a gallon. I can't remember exactly. So that's a lot of cash for that much. And, you know, it's running through your mind. Am I going to come out of here alive? You don't know. But once I got down there and I could tell, Ben, this is a, this is cool. You've got a bar. Uh, what would you like to drink? Well, I want a, I want a, I want a quart. Give me a quart of uh, Irish. <laughs> so we had quite a few drinks. Got our money. They let us out of town, and we slid on back to Georgia. Successful trip. Wow. Yeah, I guess it would be good to have a drink if you have to, if you've just been driving through a blizzard and into a rioty town. And, <laughs> that and how old were you then, Mitchum? Uh, in, in, in mileage, I was already 70 or 80, probably, but uh, 67, I was. Uh, what was I, 20, maybe by the end? But, you know, you got to understand, the life I lived and the lifestyle I grew up in was very fast life. Um, I had, my folks were turned 46 years old when I was born. They'd already raised a family through uh, two wars and a depression. Had three brothers who had been to World War II. One of them was with Patton, and the one that got in the liquor business, he was with Patton in uh, World War II. So I, I grew up fast, very fast. I think also, I think things when I was 20, it seemed exciting, and now they seem terrifying. Like, do you know what I mean? Things change. It does, yeah. Uh, I just, I had, my, my father told me uh, when I was 26, uh, and he was in his 70s, that I had lived more of a life than he had. He was talking about experience and done more, you know. I mean, he, he was uh, orphaned at eight years old, and uh, he went in the Army. Uh, he was in the Army during World War One. And um, he, was, he he got in the army when he was about 15 years old and uh, lied about his age and managed to get in the army. Uh, he, he, had, he he didn't have anywhere to go, so he got he got in the army. Mm. And then when he he got out, uh, mustered out the year the war ended, so he didn't have to go to Germany. But he grew up fast and had a hard life raising a family during the depression and then they were the ex was during world war ii i can't imagine i mean they had me when they they turned both turned 46 when i was born my father was born in 1904 my mother was born in 1904 but his military marker uh at the foot of his grave shows he's uh, was born in 1898 so that was his military record <laughs> uh, but I had a lot of fun. 
It sounds like it would be a lot of fun. Yeah. Fun, you say, fun. Yeah, I guess it depends, you know. Because <laughs> I've been driving in a blizzard and I was like, I can't see the road. I don't know what's up and down. And uh, if I had been driving with something, you know, illegal as well, I would just have passed out, I think. And just, mm-hmm. it's not for me. It's just not for me. <laughs> it's just a way of life. It was a way of life, you know. I mean, we, you, when you grow up in it, and my parents, uh, they didn't even drink. They never. They were never. They were never involved in any any kind of illegal activity. Uh, they were cotton mill workers, and they worked in the cotton mill and, and um, farmed and raised their family. They just happened to have five boys that chose a different way to go. <laughs> uh, but I guess you know you did. You were successful, and you had a lot of. Uh, it, like if if you keep experiencing that you you make it, you also feel like well that went well. It's stressful, mm-hmm. but let's do it again. Yeah. It it was. Uh, um, once they voted liquor in, in the early seventies, um, that didn't change. Mm-hmm. The bootleg, the, the moonshine, was still a demand, and, and still is. I mean, there's still some dry counties not far from here. If I wanted to, and I was better shape, I could probably get back in it pretty good over there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I'd like to do it again. It's so interesting that it's still like people want what they can't have. So if moonshine is illegal, you know, there would still be a demand. And if it's really good, like you say, I wouldn't know. If you ever make it here, if you ever make it to this country and you get to Georgia, I'll let you. I'll I'll make sure. I've got some stashed right now. Um. For Susan Simpson. She yes. <laughs> I'm going to go if on. I make it there. I'm going to go on record saying I, if I make it there, I don't want any because uh, I'm a lightweight and I will end up on the floor. So. Well, put it this way: what happens in Rome stays in Rome. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, I'm going to have to try that. Yeah. Well, I like the moonshine that I've had, so it, but it's probably not nearly what what you get there. Um, but the moonshine that I've had, the, there's a a store in Pennsylvania that sells it. That's where I got it. Jude bought me some. Yeah, there's a yeah. there's a distillery not too far, about a half an hour away, but it's legal, so I don't, you know, it's probably really watered down compared to what you have. Yeah, it's not it's not the same at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's chemicals in it that the made in the wood stuff. Now, what happened back in the day was uh, they were they were people who made it good and and made good stuff, specialized in it, like my friend now. But then there were people who were just trying to make it fast and, um, and it was some pretty bad stuff. 
they were some people that made some stuff that killed some people. So you don't want to drink just anybody's moonshine. You gotta know, gotta know who you're getting it from. And it's not, it's not like it was in, in, in my time. Uh, a lot of people are kind of making it for themselves and family and kind of a crowd, that thing. But it's still illegal um, because the government ain't got their money, their taxes on. Right, it's a tax, a tax thing, a tax crime. Yeah. 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 But during, during those during those early days of, of my life, uh, I went through a lot of cars. I changed cars, but like I changed my socks sometimes because if there was a a, a chase and and you got away. Now one of the chases was uh, they caught my hood of 53 Buick. 53 Buick had a real long front end. And uh, they got they got on me. I was coming out uh, through the city of Rome. Well, up, up in North Rome was uh, a brothel. It was well known all over the world. Peggy's brothel. Uh, a lot of military guys go there. There's a, there's a whole story about Peggy and, and how she got started and all that. But she was our neighbor. We, we lived close to her. So they were chasing me. Well, I'm going that direction, and I'm going by her house. I'm trying to get to the Kingston Highway, and I'm telling y'all roads like you know where they are. <laughs> it, it, I'm trying to get to... Uh, the country where the where the dirt roads are, where there's side roads where I can flip a switch and turn off my tail lights and still keep going and they can't see me. Because once I can get in that at that area, I lose them. Well, I I had a uh, another engine put in that car and uh, the hill is was higher than it is now. Anyway, time I hit that dip that start up that hill and Peggy's front door, that hood flew off and landed at her front door. Now, can you imagine that sound of a huge hood hitting the sidewalk, going into a brothel where there's customers that I'm sure thinking I'm caught now, you know, some might have even had a heart attack. I don't know, but I can imagine it scared the hell out of me. I can imagine, yeah. So, I think it is not to romanticize or anything, but I think it's uh, interesting how for something that's uh, criminal and everything, that it does require a lot of trust from everyone, you know, and a lot of, you know, it seems like you have to be some sort of honorable to, to stay in the business anyway. You got to know who to pay off. They, they, they were, they, believe me, right. they were judges and a lot of those people were on the tape. But, uh, you know, Pegasus was, was well known. Uh, I sold her up. Uh, I, I delivered some bonded liquor to her a few times. She had a little bar in there. And uh, she was a nice lady. I mean, she was business. 
business. But she, uh, I sold her a diamond ring one time, cash. So she, I'm sure Peggy knew that night whose hood that belonged to <laughs> that landed at her door. <laughs> but uh, I had to stash that, I had to bury that car. We had to bury it in a box size mine. Right. But then you got to get a new car. Oh, yeah. We always, we always have spares around. <laughs> Thank you for listening to part one. Please tune in next week for the final episode.